What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host Ken Milam and John Swan as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. Before long, I'd say I got, I'm fixing to have 14 are you, are, are you starting? Hmm? Are you starting? Put your, head, put your headphones on. We can actually start. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're the one that's been up longer. I shouldn't be have to explaining early in the morning how this works. <laughs> I've been up a long time. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to go through today because... Um, Winter is coming. Winter is here. So, uh, a, well, well, no, winter not, ain't not, here. not for us. Winter ain't in Texas yet. Yeah, no, we're gonna we're it's gonna go through summer. and we're gonna talk about winter and winterizing your hives and everything from a northern state perspective. But first, just because we were we were going through and and uh, doing this this morning right before the show started, we're gonna give a shout out to David in Mississippi because uh, he was he was texting me via Instagram this morning and Ken and I are here <laughs> in the radio station, so we thought it would be funny to go through and. And uh, send him a message on Instagram. Ken left him a little voicemail, basically, and we shot that over to him on Instagram. So shout out to David. Uh, hope everything goes well and it turns out well and it is the best case scenario and not the worst case scenario there with the situation with the bees. Yeah. So good morning and uh, thanks for listening, sir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's go ahead here and let's switch this around and actually get to the main segment. Sorry for the, the drastic detour. Mm -hmm. But... Winter preparation, so winter is coming, but this segment specifically is going to be geared towards the northern states. So for all of you down you south can of do the it right. <laughs> oh dear. Winter is coming. There you go. Now, now <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Um, all right, so for everybody south of the Mason-Dixon line, if you're down here in the southern states, we will be doing another episode of winter for the southern regions that will be coming up here in a few weeks. But right now, we want to focus on everybody that listens in the United States that's in the northern section of the United States, because winter for you could literally in some areas be tomorrow. And in other areas, you're definitely going to have snow in October, you know, so it changes by region as you go. And your situations are drastically different than what you're going to hear us talking about as the rest of our true fall, quote unquote, <laughs> goes if through it gets and happens. If we ever get to fall, yeah, we have a hundred degrees. We today. have, we have, um, we have spring and then we have summer, yeah. fake summer. And then we have real summer and then we have hell yeah. and then we have late summer and then we have fall yep. and then we have something that's a mockery of winter that lasts for about three to four weeks. Yep. Um, Pretty much. <laughs> those are our seasons. Yeah. <laughs> so, but for those of you up north, what you want to do is everything that we've talked about, it's all relative, right? Mm -hmm. This is kind of where I come into that, you know, beekeeping is the art of contradictions. It's all relative. It all depends on your specific region and you could be one state away from somebody and you you think you're both in the same like longitude latitude kind of area mm -hmm. but in reality you're not like their zones could be different if there's more hills and mountains it could change the airflows and you could have valleys where it's cooler and you know different humidities and like all this different stuff could happen so the very first thing is find find a local resource in your area to go through and check with them because as we go through these, I'm going to reference back and, and give you guys some homework and some stuff to go and look up and, and do a little bit of research on. You still have time on some of them. Other ones you don't. You need to be doing it right now kind of thing. So 
but talk to some local people in your area and see what is the average. And don't necessarily just talk to the people at the bee clubs that all of them have one or two hives. Find somebody that overwinters commercial guy. 10 or 20. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be thousands, but like 10 okay. or 20 or 30 or 40 hives consistently every year and let them tell you, well, on average, what I have found is you need this because that person's going to know better than the person that just had the one hive because the one hive is only one experience. And that's where you get some of these radical different. Oh, you got to do this and you got to do that. And um, OK, so let's go back to, to preparing okay, for winter north. in the northern states. Yep. All right. So just like you hear us talk about down here, mm -hmm. one of the main things is uh, your ratio of food to bees. So there is some some leeway in here and some wiggle room and stuff. So just keep that in mind. But we're going to go through the standards of if you're up in the northern states, what you have to prepare for. And a lot of that is going to depend on how long does your winter go? How long of stretches do you have where the temperatures are below 30 or 40 degrees constantly or below zero constantly where the bees absolutely cannot get out and they've got to go through and they've got to do all this other work? Um, so... The first thing is a minimum of one deep of honey, preferably a deep and at least a medium or another deep. So where we talk about you need one box to one box and it yeah. can be one deep to one medium up there, your bare minimum is one deep of bees and one deep of honey. And hopefully they've also backfilled like what we were talking about with yours earlier. Mm. A lot of that bottom box has been backfilled with honey as well. Right. Now... You might in need, in addition to that, an extra medium on top of that deep or another deep. So you could have a three-box setup, two deeps and a medium or three deeps. And that's just for the bees. That's just for the bees. And that's because they say your average up there is about 140 pounds of honey is what they may need in some regions to make it through the winter. Now, wow. if you do a lot of hand-holding and you do, you know, this is the time where being a helicopter beekeeper is okay. If you're a helicopter bee mama or a helicopter bee daddy and you go out there and, and you're, you know, all the time watching and worrying and doing whatever, um, this is where that can come in handy. Because if you pamper those bees and you make sure that they've got plenty of stuff, it's going to benefit them in those northern states when winter comes. Right. So right now, look at the honey stores. You need at least a solid deep of honey. If you do not have that, you best be feeding and you need to feed, 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 feed because you're running out of time. The other thing is if you're in a top bar, now we do have like Melissa's top bars. Mm. She keeps bees in Massachusetts in top bars and her bees do fine. So I say down here, you need that 50-50 ratio, you know, X amount of bars of solid bees mm -hmm. to X amount of bars of solid capped honey. Mm -hmm. Up there, you might want to do more like one third to two thirds. One third of the bars of solid capped bees to two thirds of the bars of solid capped honey. You need that little bit of extra food stores because all winter long, all they're going to be doing is vibrating to generate heat and consuming that honey and sugar to no, give them the energy. That. Yeah, to give them the energy to vibrate and continue generating heat. So this is this is one of those spots where you know go back and check with others in your area and see what the ideal food weight is going to be for your region. That is key. You need to know what you need to be at. Now, if you can, actually, if you have not, you need to switch over right now from one to one to two to one. And two to one is going to be two parts of sugar to one part water. Now, here's how you're going to go through and make that. And follow this literally. 
So yeah, don't boil the water. Well, I never, the sugar. yeah, don't ever boil the sugar. Never, never, never cook mm-hmm. the sugar itself. You have to heat the water separately. If you heat the sugar, you're actually going to create a chemical reaction that will make that toxic to the bees. And you don't want them to have that stuff in there when they can't get out and can't relieve themselves and all that over winter. So you've got to be careful when you do this, but start off, get yourself either like if you're making, if you only have one or two hives and you're making mm-hmm. smaller batches of it, mm-hmm. um, you can do it this way. But if you're making a bigger batch, Let's say you're going to use a five-gallon bucket as your mixing container, right? You're going to start off with a big pot of sugar, and you're going to fill that pot completely full of sugar and then dump it into your five-gallon bucket. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to turn around and you're going to fill that pot completely full of sugar a second time and dump it into your Mm five-gallon bucket. That's your two. Now, to make your one... Rinse that pot out, get all the sugar granules out of there so you're not cooking any of the sugar, Mm -hmm. and then fill that pot full of water and bring that water to a boil. When the water's boiling and hot and you got the rolling boil going on, then you take that water and you dump that into the five-gallon bucket that already contains your two of the sugar. And then you get your paint mixer and stir it. Or, you know, a long spatula or spoon or whatever, and you stir it very carefully, and you stir it until it is all dissolved. You want that liquid to be clear. You don't want there to be an inch of sugar at the bottom, nothing that's going to potentially clog up your feeding system. It needs to all dissolve. So you sit there and you keep stirring that boiling water until it's all dissolved. It's going to be super thick, way thicker than your one-to-one because you've got extra sugar in there. And so you get that all stirred up, you get it all good to go, and it, and when it starts to cool, it should be all clear. It, it might be like a yellow-amber color, right. but it needs to not be cloudy, and it needs to not have extra granulars of sugar that didn't dissolve at the bottom of it. Okay. Now, once you get that mixed up, now you can go through and you can start feeding. But right now, when you're listening to this episode, if you're not already feeding two-to-one, you need to start feeding two-to-one. The point of the two to one is you've taken some of the moisture out because you've doubled the solid mass. Mm -hmm. So now there's less for them to go through and dehydrate and less time that it's going to take them to prep that and get it stored. Feed that to them in copious amounts, as much of it as they will take, as quickly as they will take it, because you're trying to build up this extra minimum solid deep, if not a deep and a medium or two extra deeps to get that 140 potential pounds of stored food in there. Now, as you do this and you're going through and you're feeding them, you you just have to do what you can do, right? What if your colony didn't necessarily make it that far? What if you barely got to the point where you only have one deep drawn out and you're in a northern state and winter's coming? There's still other things you can do. If you've got drawn comb, give it to them and let them fill that drawn comb. If you don't, then we can switch over to some potential other feeding alternatives that will go through and help you do that. But one last side note on the feeding liquid. Never feed the liquid once the temperatures, the daytime temperatures have dropped below 60 degrees. You can't feed liquid anymore. The reason for that is there's too much moisture and too much water in there. They cannot evaporate it. They can't dehydrate it. And all of that extra moisture is going to become condensation inside your hive. And that can be a death sentence for the bees. That condensation will fill up on the top. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to rain ice cold water down back on top of the bees inside yeah, the colony. Yeah, like that. Well, it'll chill them, yeah, it'll and kill that'll them. kill them. So it's very crucial that you need to use this window of time while your temperatures might still be in the upper 60s or mid 70s. Feed them your two to one syrup in the northern states. Again, this is for the northern states. Um, start feeding them that two to one syrup and get that in there. It is way better to have the capped food stores now than to try to rectify this later. 
but there are other things you can do. So if you did not have a lot of space, your colony didn't make it as big as you wanted to, and there's no more room, you know, you, you can't add another box right now of undrawn comb. They will not draw wax. The year is over. You're done with that. So the only thing you can do now is look at possibly supplemental feeding, and your supplemental feeding is going to be things like patties, like the pollen patties. But you, you can, don't like pollen patties. We don't live up north. Okay. So you can use your pollen patties to give them a protein source for overwinter. You can use a sugar brick. You can use candy boards, granulated sugar. There's different things like that that you can go through and use. So your patties are going to be your pollen patties. And you go through and you make those. If you make them from home, you would actually use the dry pollen powder that we're talking about. And you mix it in with that two-to-one sugar syrup and a little bit of other stuff. You can find ingredients and directions and stuff online on how to make different versions. But you can make that pollen patty and you can put that in there above the inner cover. You're going to want to get yourself a... You're going to want to get yourself an inner cover that is designed for feeding. Man Lake does sell some of those where it's got your normal like three-eighths of an inch lip on one side, but on the other side, it's got a two-inch lip that comes up really high. And that creates a trough where you can create the sugar brick or you can put in there the pollen patties and the sugar mounds and things like that. But that sol the solid food, it's not as easy for the bees. But it is a last-ditch effort. So what's going to happen is while those bees are in there and they're vibrating and they're generating heat and warmth, on the days that the temperatures do come up above 40 and it gets closer to that 50-60 mark, they can then travel up into this basically top feeder that you've created for solid foods. Mm -hmm. They can travel up into that and they will lick the pollen patty and they'll get the protein from it and they will lick the sugar brick or the other stuff. And the humidity that the bees do generate will come up and kind of come up in there and keep that stuff a little bit moist. So there's extra things in there. So again, another piece of homework for you guys get online and do some research for your area about pollen patties about sugar bricks candy boards and granulated sugar the granulated sugar is easier but not necessarily as reliable but what you would do on that is it's literally like a sugar camp or a sugar mound you would pour the granulated sugar into that deeper inner cover mm -hmm. and then you mist it with water so that it's just a tiny little bit moist and I think you should probably put some newspaper or something underneath it or wax paper, but you missed it with a little bit of that water. And then when they need it, they can come up there and they can lick on that sugar and get some of the sugar from it to come back down. But they can't, if there's no moisture, they can't eat a solid dry brick of sugar. It's got to have some moisture content to it. So that's kind of the, the reason for that. But get online, do some research on these things. These things could be saving graces, especially when it starts getting into January and February. Your bees may make it through October and November just fine, and then December, everything gets really, you know, cold well, and bitter. It gets really cold. And your bees make it through December just fine, but they may burn through in those first couple of months all of the liquid stores they had. Now you're up there and you're looking at, well, what are they going to do? That's where that solid food comes into play. And there are days even in the wintertime, when you can still go out and check your bees, especially if you're just checking the food source at the top, you can open that lid. If you've got that where you've actually put in the shim or the frame that raises it up, or you've bought the special feeder that has the deep trough to it so that you have an inner cover with the deep trough, you can open up the lid and you can check the food stores and you've got to be quick, but you open it up, you take a look at it and you're like, okay, I can add another pollen patty in here, or I can add another, you know, candy brick or whatever in there for them at this time, because they're going to need it. And then you immediately, you just add it and you close the lid back up and you keep going. Don't try to actually go through and inspect the frames. You're just checking your food stores and, and closing it back up. But you can do that very quickly at certain times of the year when the temperatures are getting 
getting up there closer to that 60 mark or even the 50 mark. Um, there are days where you can do it if you do it quickly. But those solid foods, they, they may come in handy for you in emergency situations. So that's your other thing to look into. Now, moving on from that, should you wrap your hives? Well, you have a little bit of time to do some research on this. There's lots of different ways that people wrap their hives. They will wrap their hive with actual insulation all oh, the way around Oh, you're talking about it. insulation. On the outside, yeah. I thought you were playing music. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you can wrap your hive with insulation. Some people wrap them with just tar paper. Um, part of it is because you don't want any cold air to come in through any of the seams on the boxes. The other part of it, though, is you actually want to hold in the warmth. Yeah. You want to hold in the warmth from the hives, and you also want to keep the cold out. So wrapping your hives will actually help. It kind of creates its own wind block because the wind is hitting the insulation and not hitting the hive. Some people will take the square... Uh, solid foam insulation. Mm -hmm. You cut it into two yeah. sections yeah. and you put those on all four sides of the hive right. and then they would wrap that with the tar paper to go through and, and keep it kind of nice and, and sealed up. I so people take glass fiberglass insulation. And wrap they it. do. It, so there's all kinds of different ways that you can wrap your colony. So again, more homework for you guys. Get out there and look into how to wrap your hives. But one of the things that you need to keep in mind, and this is going to lead into kind of one of the other topics here, is you absolutely have to have a top entrance. You have to. In those northern states, it's twofold. Number one, that top entrance allows some of the excess moisture to escape the colony, which helps reduce condensation. And we talked about that condensation dripping down. Right. That can be bad. So that'll help reduce the condensation. But the second part of it is if you live somewhere where you get feet of snow, mm -hmm. well, if they only have a bottom entrance, they can't get out. And it may snow one or two or three foot of snow, and then the temperature will actually come up and you'll have a beautiful sunny day where it might be 40 degrees. And those bees could actually leave and do a short relieving flight and come back, but they can't because their entrance is buried in snow. But if yep, you have a top that. entrance... They can also use that top entrance as a way to get out of the colony, relieve themselves, and come back. That will help them stay healthier. So if you're wrapping your hives, well, period, you have to have a top entrance. Mm -hmm. But if you're wrapping your hives, you need to make sure that you do not cover up that top entrance. You need to keep the top entrance open so that they can still get out and they're not locked inside there. And that is very, very crucial. Now, the other thing is going to be creating a northern windbreak. So Melissa, for Melissa's Top Bars, she does not actually wrap her top bars, but she does create a panel wall that is on the north side of her top bars, so it blocks that northern wind. And if you can stop the wind from hitting your colonies, it helps, like you're still dealing with the ambient temperature outside, but you don't have the blowing cold wind that is actually sucking the heat away from it and also chilling it kind of artificially. Right. So creating a northern windbreak is also a very good thing to do. Now, if you want to be that helicopter beekeeper and you want to go completely overboard, this is the time of year when it's okay to do that. If you want to wrap your hive and build a northern windbreak and you've got, you know, two boxes of, of solid capped honey and you're going to turn around and you're going to build, you know, some, some pollen patties and some sugar patties for emergency, that's okay. Because if you're in one of those states where you have the long, cold, bitter winter, if you've got lots of snow that stays for long periods, that may be what gets your bees through the winter and what makes them survive. Now, there's a little bit of talk about races of bees. And that was one of the forums from many years ago that I saw somebody was talking about, well, I bought my bees from Florida or I bought my bees from California. And, and people up here say you have to have northern raised bees or they won't survive. Well, that's not necessarily true. It's all about 
the care and time and maintenance that you've put into the colony, how strong the colony is, you've got to have a lot of bees. Now, if you're going into winter and you literally only have one frame of bees, but you've got 10 frames of food, you're they're probably, be, that's a dead, they're not going to make it. No. And that's because that one little frame of bees, that is not enough bees to keep generate enough heat mm-hmm. to keep everybody warm. So you've got to have a lot of bees in there. That's the first key. And then they've got to have a lot of food to go through. Now, as the winter progresses, your winter cluster is slowly going to be dying mm-hmm. off. Those bees are slowly going to be aging out. They're going to be dying out. And as that happens, your winter cluster is going to be shrinking. So that's why you need to start off with a good size one because come spring, your winter cluster is going to be tiny. You may go into winter with, you know, 30,000 bees. You may come out of winter with like 10,000 so or less. You just got to be really, really careful about that. But the races of bees, your Carniolans, uh-huh. your Russians, strains like that excel at raising a nice manageable brood cluster and utilizing their food stores to where they're not going to burn through everything in a heartbeat. Now there, on that note, queen excluders. The guys that use queen excluders, I know you don't. They'll do the first two, put a queen excluder, and then they, the honey supers above that. They don't want the, honey, the bees, to, the queen, to go up there and lay it full of eggs. Mm-hmm. But now... What makes it healthy, a hive healthy, is numbers of bees. Mm-hmm. So, queen excluder should be, I know this is a hard one to figure, but for somebody that wants to have lots of bees to make lots of honey, leave the queen excluder off because she's going to go up, fill, fill everything full of eggs, come back down, and she'll live in the bottom, but there's going to be a pile of bees come down with her in time. Well, so here's the, regardless why you use queen excluders and mm-hmm. if you're using them at all, the the main thing with a queen excluder is that is geared towards your honey harvest. Mm-hmm. Once the honey harvest is done, mm-hmm. that damn queen excluder better be gone. Because yeah. if you leave that on in the winter, you will right. absolutely kill your colony. Because what's going to happen is all of the worker bees can make it through that queen excluder and they're going to keep moving up and the queen can't. And she would be trapped down there, and she will die. There you go. So the queen excluder is only a tool for honey production if you want to do, and again, I say this all the time, cut comb honey. Mm-hmm. Because if you're just trying to go through and you're just trying to make honey and you're going to do you know, a centrifuge extraction and mm-hmm. then keep that comb, it doesn't matter if she's laid in that comb or not. And if you don't have the queen excluder, she does have way more space to lay eggs that next year. Um, that, that's a whole different kind of methodology towards should you or shouldn't you. But if you do still have a queen excluder on your colonies right now and right. you're in a northern state, get that dang thing off there. Okay. Take those boxes up, get the queen excluder out of there because you will kill your colony if you leave that on there because you've trapped your queen and the rest of the colony will leave without her as they, they move up, up to stay warm. Yeah, as they move up through that box. she can't go up, she's going to die. Right. So, yeah. yeah. That, that is a great point because that may be something that people didn't think about. Nope. And it could have just been not even a like not smart enough to realize, just absent minded didn't think about it. Yeah. You know, like, oh, well, I've had my queen scooter on there. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, I have done dumb things like that where I accidentally, not thinking about it, didn't open a queen excluder on, on even like on our top bars. The the excluder is a disc on the outside for right. your top bar. Yeah. And I have purposely, you know, been raising queens before. And forgot to open the thing so that the virgins could get out and mate. (laughs) 
and then wonder why everything failed. Yeah. Yeah. And then I see the front of it and I'm like, oh, crap. And luckily, in most of those cases, not all of them, but in most of the cases where you do have a goof like that, um, it can sometimes be salvageable. But when you're coming into winter... No, no, that's a no go. Yeah, so if you've got a Langstroth box and you've got a Queen excluder in there today, and you're living in a northern state, pause the episode, go outside right now, open that box up, get that damn Queen excluder out of there, and then put it back together. Now, on a top bar, in the in the cold weather, oh, you said the lady that she raises top bars. Yeah, Melissa's top bars. And are you wanting to use a thicker wood? Where you know we go. To the to the big box, Les Crowder's Les Crowder's freaking top bar. Oh, he's, he's making his out of com, barrels. Com, I know. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. He's so I've got a couple of them that because uh, he's working with like the Hayes County Beekeepers and right. Be Mindful, um, and like they donated in a top bar for our club association mm-hmm. this year as like a, an auction prize kind of thing, mm-hmm. and that sucker is made out of two by. So it's like so, a two by twelve that is then cut up to make your top bar. Right. Uh, nothing in it. It almost takes two people to move it. <laughs> it's but, heavy. Now, but now that would be a good top bar for up north. For, yeah, absolutely, because the the thicker the sides, right, the better insulation. Yeah. Because you can buy uh, cypress. The cypress boxes you got, they're made out of full seven. I don't know if it's seven eighths or a one inch. Did you notice they're thicker? A little bit, not a lot, but they're a little they're bit. They're a little bit thicker. Yeah, you're uh, instead of having that 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 half inch, they're closer to the three quarter mm-hmm. or full inch. But they're they're still not. You 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 really want that extra because like oh, in you nature, gotta have that extra right in but nature. On the top the, bar, if she's not wrap, is she wrapping them? She does not. She creates the windbreaks. So she's building a solid. Like she basically takes, um, and this is not verbatim, but this is an example yeah. of what you could do. Take like a cattle panel mm-hmm. and curve that around the north side of your hive, and then put tin and on then it. put tin or wood or something that's going to create a solid barrier, and use that cattle panel as your structure to hold okay. it up, and then have that anchored into the ground really, really well. She did have one that blew over last year. One of the panels actually blew the panel down. Um, some places can have some pretty ferocious oh, yeah. north winds, so you've got to make sure that it is definitely secured and anchored well and solid if you're going to do the wind barrier. Mm-hmm. I've seen people, if you live in more of like a farming type area, mm-hmm. I've seen people build hay bale barriers because that hay bale ain't going to blow over. If you're using the square rectangular hay bales, they go through and they'll build a wall up on the other side of their hives out of hay bales, and that will definitely block the wind. Now, she's got enough bees in that top bar mm-hmm. to keep it warm. To keep it warm, yep. Now, they're using the... I don't know what she uses. I imagine, I, I bet you, because what I've noticed up north, they use the, the boards where they move them. Well, the, the inner, yeah. So the follower boards in a top bar hive, that is about the only time that I ever say, yeah, you should go yeah. ahead and, mo- and use it. Yeah. In the spring when they're growing, in the summer and sp- late spring and summer when you're doing your honey harvest, I, I basically, them follower boards are never in the colony. No. But then when it comes time for winter, I'll go through and I move that follower board up to the last bar and that's where it sets. And that's just basically because say your colony took up two of your four feet in a top mm-hmm. bar hive, right? Mm-hmm. Well, instead of having your heat where it's going to be trying to warm up that full four foot, you can put in that follower board, that division board, and you can put that up there at the two foot mark where the last comb is, right. and it keeps the heat trapped in a smaller area. That is definitely a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. So yes, you can definitely do that. And that would be something on a top bar. If you do have one in the Northern States, you can kind of do that 
to help mitigate the heat loss and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also... Um, oh, okay. So, <laughs> well, I was getting ready to say, you can also do like the blankets and the quilts and right. things like that. And that was the last little key point on here. I kind of jumped forward on the dealing with moisture because we were talking about the top entrance. But one of the other things that you can do to help with thermodynamics and to help with moisture both is there's a variety of different tactics that you can do like quilt boxes and insulation. The quilt boxes, you can make them and you're basically taking a fabric and you're stuffing it with a material Mm -hmm. and you're putting that in your inner cover. And that material is twofold. It's designed to pull the moisture up into Mm -hmm. it and hold the moisture up there so that it's not dripping down. But it also provides a thermal insulation barrier so the heat's not escaping up through the top of the hive. Sawdust. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of different ways. You can yeah. do sawdust, you can do mulches, you can do hay and straw. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of things can be put inside those to okay. actually do that. You could even do rice. You know, I mean, like whatever it ends up being that would help kind of block some of that. So you can look into that. And we talked about that in the listener questions episode mm-hmm. where um, we have the listener Lacey up there in Kansas City or out south mm-hmm. of Kansas City where she had went through and they accidentally built the bars a little bit too skinny and they put the tabs on the sides of it and that left a gap between each of her top bars. Well, that's going to let it's going to let the heat escape. Right. So we talked about going through and, you know, again, another research point for you guys. If you're up there, look into quilted boxes um, or just the quilts and things themselves, how you can make those, the different thermal blankets that you could use, because you can lay those over the top of your top bar and keep the heat from escaping up through the top of it. Put that between your lid and your bars, you know, do something like that. So here in the southern states, I build a lot of my tops where you can literally, it's it's basically just a cover to keep the, the rain and the sun right, off of the bars. We, yeah, that's all we use them right. for. Well, yeah. if it was switching over into winter, I would want that to be more of a lid, like the telescoping cover, so that it's going to not let the air blow straight across the top of the bars. See, that's, so that's one of the differences me now, there. i got to build no, lids no, 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 up no, no, for mine. No, 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 because you don't live up north. Well, no. You have to take it into perspective of where you're at. Down here, we don't have to do that. We don't need that. But if we were to take the top bars that we already have Uh and move them up north, we would need to change that lid for the wintertime so that the lid will hold in the heat better and not let the cold air blow across the top of it. So if you've got a telescoping lid over your hives up north, you're good on your top bars. Mm -hmm. If you don't, you're going to need to do something. You're going to need to put that blanket over there, something to help hold that heat in and not let the bars come into contact with the cold air. That'll rob the colony of your heat. What about just taking uh, the, the the glass insulation? You have the barrier on one side; it's glass on the other side, and you would put the the paper down. Leave the glass. No, I'd turn it over. Put the glass down with the paper up, and then that glass would help absorb moisture out of there too. As long as it's not coming in contact directly with the bees. Well, you're going to have a top bar. You're going to have... You, you'll have your top bars. But see, like in, in Lacey's situation, there's gaps between those bars. Well, yeah. So the bees would be able you, to yeah. come up in there yeah, and chew on that. And they so, can come on and chew, yeah. chew that fiberglass. Yeah, yeah you, would, you would want something to... That would be where like the cloth would come in, where you mm-hmm. actually create like a quilt or a blanket out of it, because that's going to protect them from whatever the filling is mm-hmm. inside there. So there's, there's lots of things to consider. 
this is definitely the time of year where you need to to know these things and hear about these things. When you hear about some of those drastic winter losses where people lose, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent of their colonies in a in a winter, really? a lot of times, yeah, that up can north? happen. It can happen well, up north for that. sure. Yeah. Um, your your key things are gonna be number one, the one that most people don't think of. And we had an instance yesterday where it was shocking. It was shocking to me. It was shocking to the beekeeper. Um, and it, it was one of those, you, you just don't really think about it. But then in retrospect, he was like, oh, this is probably what happened last year. But doing your mite checks, going through mm -hmm. like the mite just ended, you know, where it was a nationwide study. Everybody go out there and test and treat for, not treat, but test. Mm -hmm. See how many mites are inside your colonies and then send that data in so we can have better info. Well, that's actually, that just ended, and, and he wanted to participate in that. And so he was like, hey, can you come out? I've never done one before. Can you go through and walk me through this and teach me how to do it? And when we went through and we did the mite counts, we just did a sugar shake. So we took half a cup of bees, scooped them up into that half a cup measuring, put them into the jar with the powdered sugar, mm -hmm. and shook and rolled them for a solid two minutes. Mm -hmm. Then we turn around and we shake that again for a solid set of time over the top of a white plate, and we count every single mite that falls out through that mesh screen called the bees stay up inside the jar. Your threshold is 2% or less. Now, you do a mathematical equation to come up with that amount of, of, of mites to bees, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when we did his, there were 35 mites that had fallen out of there within the first minute of me shaking. Wow. That's insane. So he had a lot. He had a lot. So when you do the mathematic equation on it, that comes out to an 11%, which it needs to be below 2%. And he ended up having an 11% mite count for that amount of bees. That was bad. Now, when we, we looked at it in retrospect, he lost some colonies last winter. They just didn't make it. And initially, you assume, oh, well, they might have starved out or they might have froze out. Right. Well, if they did freeze out, it could possibly have been because there wasn't enough they bees in there. Skinny. And the reason there wasn't enough bees is because they were full of diseases from all the mites, and they were dying off way quicker than they should have been, so your colony shrank down. So mite control is very, very crucial. It's very important. If you can keep those mite levels down, however you do it, if you can keep the mite levels down and do that in, in like the summertime, right after you do your honey harvest, if you start working on that stuff, which I know now is too little too late for the northern states, absolutely, but you start working on that then, it's crucial, so that your winter bees are strong and healthy and don't have an overabundance of mites that are spreading diseases to them, that right there can make the world of difference on your bees overwintering successfully. Mm -hmm. It's it is a it's a it's a challenge. It really can be a challenge coming into winter if you're up in those states. But again, just to recap, you need a good solid amount of bees. You got to have a lot of bees to generate that heat. You need a lot of food, so you need to have at the minimum that one solid deep box of capped food, if not more. Have a game plan in place to have some supplemental feedings of some solid substances like the patties, the sugar camps, the um, sugar bricks, anything like that. Have some of that stuff made up, the sugar fondant, where you can have that in there as an, an emergency food source if you need to, and go through and make sure that everything is good. Do your research about how much weight you need for your specific area, because it could change from county to county, let alone state to state. So do some research on that. Ask some local people that have been doing it consistently and successfully many years in a row. See what they say on that. Do your research on your wrapping your hives and the different ways that you can go through and get your hives wrapped to help insulate them. 
Do your research on different strategies for dealing with the excess moisture. Absolutely have your top vent in there as an actual entrance as well. You need that top entrance so they can get out if they're buried in snow. And do your research on the quilts and the quilted boxes and your insulation and, and pull all this stuff together. Now, the good thing about the wind barrier and the quilts, you don't need those in place until just before your first freeze. So... If it's not going to snow until the end of October or you're not going to have a freeze until the end of October, you still have a few weeks to go through and do this research. If you're in a place where it already has snowed, well, as soon as it clears up, if you're worried about it and you want to go out there and you want to insulate it and wrap it, it's not going to hurt anything. In a tree, you've got three or four inches of wood all the way around them that helps better insulate them from the outside temperatures. In a Langstroth box, you've got barely three quarters of an inch of wood that separates them from the outside. So if you can do anything to help increase that, it's only going to increase your chances of bee survival. So if somebody says, oh, you don't have to do that up here, but you want to do it anyway, wrapping and insulating your hives, as long as it's done correctly and you leave that top vent and that top entrance, will be fine. You're not going to detrimentally hurt your colonies at all by doing that. So hopefully that gives you guys a, a little bit of information to kind of get you out there and hopefully have you your bees prepared and have yourself prepared for winter. Um, best of luck. Winters up there can be brutal. Last year was insane. The winter, the, the Arctic vortexes that came through and the, the negative temperatures were just ridiculous. So hopefully everybody has a really good winter this year. And we will talk about other strategies and stuff as the, the season goes on. As we mentioned earlier, we will do an episode for southern winterization for if you're south of that Mason-Dixon line, you're down here in some of the southern states talking about the lesser requirements. It's not nearly as drastic as up north, but some of the lesser things that you guys will have to do. So that episode for the southern states will be coming out here probably in a few weeks. We'll start talking about that. We've got some more fall flow stuff for us to talk about in the southern states. And then, you know, once winter sets in and, and everything's really good, we're kind of on vacation at that point as far as beekeeping. You don't necessarily go out and open up the hives. You know, you're not having to do all these other checks. The whole goal is that by the time your winter sets in, your bees are good. You might have to check in on them at the midpoint of the winter and then maybe a couple times there towards the end to make sure they still got food. But then you're kind of, that's your beekeeper vacation. That's your, your winter off. And uh, we'll bring in some fun, you know, just random entertaining educational or fun episodes for you guys maybe through the winter season um, that's not specific to the time of year because at that point, we're then going to be transitioning over into the second year of beekeeping. And so we'll we'll fill in that gap with a little bit of fun stuff, maybe some more interviews, things like that, to kind of keep you guys entertained during the cold months. And we'll also tell you how warm it is down here. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sleepy. Yeah. But that's just another weekend morning for Ken Milam, it who is. gets up at the crack of dawn to drive all the way to Austin oh, to do hell, his radio show. Dawn. It's, I got up five hours before dawn. Yeah, you get up before the sun comes up, yep. which is crazy. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and uh, you know, now the now. Mason Dixon line that is like from. Oh, don't get me lying. I don't either. So, are we worried about the Panhandle of Texas? It gets colder. It does, but it doesn't get like. But it doesn't get. Snow. It doesn't get they, Wyoming they, they, cold. They don't have five feet of snow. No, well, they can get a couple foot of snow, but yeah. it, it's not Wyoming cold. No, you're, no, it's yeah, not. Okay. It, it can get cold. Okay. Like you're talking where it so might get Minnesota, down to zero. Michigan. Yes, we're talking yes. northern states, yeah. way okay. north. Okay. Um, the okay. middle section is kind of a hybrid, but that's where it goes back into speak to people in your local area that have successfully been doing it and see what works and what doesn't and what they need to do. And most of all, most all of them be happy to help you. Most of the most yeah, of them. Yeah, most all of them. 
most of the people in real life, you know, if you go to the associations, you're gonna you're gonna pick out the people that are the ones that get online and, and have mm-hmm. horrible things to say. Um, but find somebody who is reliable, who is intelligent, who is friendly, and who has successfully been doing it. Don't don't ask somebody who's this is their first year, or their second year, because they don't really know. It could have been a fluke that their hives lived or died last year. Ask somebody who's been doing it for multiple years in a row and can successfully overwinter them. Those are the people that you need to talk to to see how that actually works out. Not call John. Don't call John. Don't call John. (laughs) Don't call John. If you live in Wyoming, don't call John and ask him how he successfully overwintered his bees in Wyoming because John's never kept bees in Wyoming. Twin engine plane and fly up there. Ain't got no twin engine plane. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you tuning in and listening, and we hope that everything goes well for you guys in the winter. And again, thank you for listening. And hopefully you enjoyed last week because last week you got not one, not two, but three brand new episodes. And as I said before it ever came out, don't get used to it. It's not a normal thing. You're never going to be promised more than one a week. But we do hope you enjoyed that. We wanted to kind of fast forward through some of the stuff we had backlogged so we could get to this winter episode before it was too late and you guys still had time to go through and get some of that information in there to maybe help yourselves out before winter truly set in. Now, our family down in New Zealand and Australia, y'all don't listen to this. Y'all <laughs> no, no, no. should have done listen. this a long time ago. Listen, listen but to it. you should have done this. Y'all have already done this, and it's already bad. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening, and be safe out there.